in 2019, there was a series of studies done that would suggest that in Canada and the U.S., two out of every three people were either anxious or extremely anxious. And of course, 2019 was the year before the world went cray-cray. And if you're over 50 years of age, that means crazy during the pandemic, if you're not sure what cray-cray means. And it would be safe to assume that people were probably even more anxious during that time. Is it even possible in this world to not be anxious? Is that even possible? Sometimes when you're going through a tough thing or a series of tough things, <coughs> well-intentioned Christians, and I think they're often well-intentioned, will just throw part of what Marissa read to you earlier from Philippians chapter 4. They'll just throw part of it. And this is the part that they will often throw at you without giving you the whole thing. They'll just say this, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. And then they will stop there. And they don't complete the verse. And so what I want to do with you in these next moments is I want to flesh out really what Paul was saying. They're not going to be staying in this passage, but I want to flesh out what Paul was getting at as he goes then down right through verse nine, as Marissa read to us earlier. And the reality is, of course, we're all on different points of the anxiety spectrum. Some people, this is not much of an issue at all. For some people, it's kind of a medium thing. And for some people, it's a very significant issue. And of course, we all know there's ebbs and flows in life. And different things can trigger us. For example, it could be that one person in our life that triggers us. That whenever we look on our phone and we see a text from them, we haven't even read it or we see a voicemail from them, or we see their, their name with the caller ID. We don't even look at it, we haven't looked at it, and it's already triggered us. And we all have that one person, or maybe multiple persons in our life. I'll let you in on a little secret. If you don't have that one person, likely you are that one person. <laughs> Anxiety, let's be honest, it's a complex subject, okay? It's complex. And we've been doing this series of five messages on mental health. Today is number five. And as I've been saying all along, I'm not a mental health expert. I have some training for sure. But I'm a pastor. And so I'm going to primarily focus on this, not exclusively, but primarily from a spiritual perspective and talk to you about this. And what I said in the first message in this series, I say to you as we conclude again, God cares for you. God cares for you. He cares and he wants to help. Let me pray with you for a moment. Father, we bow in your presence. And we just bind any outside voices that would try to lie to us and 
try to diffuse or negate what I just said. We know from Scripture, we know from the actions of Christ, we know from the work of the Spirit in our life that you do care. That you have some very direct things to say about what we're going to talk about today. That the very peace of God is available to the people of God. To the individuals who have bowed the knee to Christ. And so we welcome you today by your spirit. Would you speak? Speak to me first. But then speak to each person here. And would you... um, reveal to us in a way that really molds us and shapes us what you would have for us in this day. And so we pray these things with expectant hearts, with glad hearts, with hearts filled with thanksgiving in Jesus name. Amen. If you have your Bible, your hard copy or your device, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of second Chronicles. Now, where's Second Chronicles? It's about a third of the way, maybe four to the percent of the way through the Older Testament. It's the history, some of the history of the nation of Israel. If you come to First and Second Samuel or uh, Kings, and then Chronicles after that, Second Chronicles, chapter twenty. Second Chronicles, chapter twenty. Before we read from that passage. <clears throat> Let me give you just some very quick background information. This is the story of the people of God. And the leader at that time was a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat. And King Jehoshaphat is the fourth king of the nation of the southern Israel of Judah. So at some point earlier in their history, the 12 tribes had kind of a dispute and there's a separation. Ten tribes went north, two tribes stay south southern kingdom where Jerusalem is housed as well and Jehoshaphat is the fourth king of the southern kingdom he is a godly king leading a godly kingdom he didn't go all quite the way that God fully the way God wanted but he made a lot of godly choices and so he was a godly king leading during a a godly time but all of a sudden we're going to discover in this passage that three, uh, well, a series of people groups come against the people of God. And it begins with the Moabites. They gather all their army and they are coming to destroy. And I mean to destroy. I mean annihilate. And if anybody's left standing at the end, they'll be slaves. The Moabites are coming. The Ammonites, another people group, are coming. The Menuhites are coming. And the worst of all, the Mosquito Bites are coming as well. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder why God created mosquitoes. Anyways, I digress. Three armies, vast armies, are coming against the people of God. They're way outnumbered. They are way overmatched. If you just look... Uh, army against armies. And you know, in our life, sometimes there's, there's one big issue in our life and we think we can handle that. But when a number of issues begin to pile up, we're at work and we have that difficult boss who makes life really miserable and it's tough to be there. And we've perhaps made some poor financial choices or some things that weren't even our fault happen financially. You've got the difficult time at work. You're suffering financially. Those two factors are making 
making it hard in the home. There's stress in the home. The marriage is a little bit bumpy. So there's three big things. And you've just started a diet. You're on the third day of your diet when you're really hungry. And this is the day they bring donuts to the lunchroom. And that just takes you over the top. In 2 Chronicles, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And as I do that, I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and some of the, with some of the Midianites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in a place I can't pronounce. That is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of God came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the court of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said this, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it power forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. So in the past, God said to Israel, show mercy to these three people groups. Okay. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. This guy's under pressure. Everybody's looking to him. He's the leader. He's the king. He's, he's under serious pressure and anxiety strikes. We've been looking in different ways around this issue of mental health. And we've looked at different characters in different kinds of situations. And in one way or another, many of them have experienced anxiety, including Jesus who was in agony in the garden. And we've noticed some of the things they did biblically to deal with this and how they turned to God. Today, I want you to notice with me how Jehoshaphat responds to anxiety. He recognizes immediately that when anxiety first strikes, it's a signal. It's like a red flashing light 
when it first hits, it's like a warning light in your car that comes on. What do you do when you see a warning light come on in your car? You know it's time to get something repaired. You don't just leave it and hope for the best and let it get worse. It's a warning for you to get the vehicle repaired, whether you can do it yourself in a sense or someone else. And Jehoshaphat knows when he hears, when his scouts come and tell him what's coming from the east, we have not got a chance in our own strength. They are way better equipped. There's way more of them. We have not got a chance on our own. But this anxiety produces a signal to which he responds immediately. And this is exactly what we are to do when anxiety initially hits. The first thing he does is he prays. And see, God can do wonderful stuff. God can do supernatural stuff when we pray. And he prays, when you read that prayer that we read moments ago, he prays a very powerful prayer. If you don't know how to pray, study the prayers of Scripture. Or ask someone that knows a little bit about praying, how can I pray? Would you teach me? And just kind of learn and make sure it's a biblically based kind of prayer. There's often common elements in the prayers. And if you're really not sure what to pray, here's a really good prayer. God, help. Jesus, would you help me? And just begin there. And see, our God listens and he knows. And as we've been saying all through this series, there is power in the name of Jesus. Power in the actions and the completed work of Jesus as he went to the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand, and one day will return. He conquered sin and death and Satan in doing these things. We've talked earlier in this series about the authority that we have in Jesus' name when we're a child of God, that we're not just working against the natural and the normal. There are spiritual powers at work even in this room right now that in Jesus' name we stand against. And so he is brutally honest with God, which is another theme we've all seen with these characters. They tell the truth. They acknowledge the truth. He asks for guidance. And then he calls the nation, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, I'm presuming, calls them to come and gather together and to pray and to fast. Now, fasting is a whole big subject, but let me just say very quickly, we fast when we set aside temporarily uh, natural and normal things. And we're doing this with the intent of being very focused in our prayer life, of taking the time we would have committed to those normal, natural things. And we're praying and we're saying, Jesus, I'm setting aside this. And maybe my stomach is growling a little bit or I'm not doing these things that I normally do over here because I want to be deeply focused and I want to hear from you and I'm going to be honest with you and I'm going to acknowledge you and praise you and during this time of, of prayer and fasting. And he exercises faith and he calls the nation and the gathered people of God together to fast and pray and to exercise faith together and they pray together as a group and individually he came across some interesting information by someone named Dr. Carolyn Leaf 
who wrote this book, Switch on Your Brain. And Dr. Karen Leaf is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscience with a master's degree and PhD in communication pathology and a bachelor of science in logopedics, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neurology. Now I'm gonna be straight with you. I haven't got a clue what any of that means. But I'm just guessing that she is really smart. I think she is. Here's what her research found. She discovered that if we pray in a focused, concentrated way for 12 minutes a day, for a, every day for eight weeks, that they would scan, scan the brain throughout this process as people were doing this. And what she discovered when they would pray 12 focused minutes a day for eight weeks, that in a, in, in a way that's measurable on a brain scan, that God can renew our mind and change our neural pathways. Just like it says, and once again, science confirming what God has already said in Romans chapter 12, that God can renew and change our mind. This is incredibly good news. Because I don't know about you, but this is the stuff I'm talking about today. This is stuff I can struggle with. Okay, just going to be honest with you. And there's times in my life where my brain can go to the wrong place and try to set up camp there. And God has designed the neural pathways in my mind and in yours so that they can be rewired and renewed. He can renew our mind. That's really good news. Anxiety comes and it's a signal to pray. The problem comes when we start to dwell on the alarm, when we start to get fixated on the flashing red light and we begin to dwell on that and fixate on that and worry about that and become increasingly anxious about that. And then in a negative way, we begin to train our brain to ruminate on this. We begin to train our brain to meditate on the negative. The word in scripture that is commonly translated anxiety means to dwell or ponder on fearful thoughts or anxious thoughts. It seems in some ways, it almost seems natural to think about all the things that could go wrong and rehearse these all in our mind. But see, prayer is not natural. Prayer is supernatural. And our God cares for us. And he can help break the cycle if we ask him to. And he can rewire and renew our brain. He can do great things. I've been saying each week in this series, I say it again today, asking for help when you legitimately need it. When you need it, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. It's a sign of courage. Asking for help when you really need it is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom and it's a sign of courage. So when anxiety chimes an alarm, 
We take it to God in prayer. And in doing this, there's numbers of things, good, good things that are going on when we pray. Some of them, let me just mention a few. I'm beginning to train my mind with God's help to focus on God's character. You see this in the prayer of Jehoshaphat. He's focused on the character of God. He's speaking out loud. He's declaring audibly, which is a really good thing to do in prayer, um, to speak out loud the character of God. I am rebuking in Jesus name, the lies of the evil one. I am celebrating in prayer, God's goodness. I am celebrating his power. I'm celebrating and acknowledge his righteousness. I am acknowledging that with God's help, I can choose to believe like Jehoshaphat did. I can choose to believe that he's got this. I don't know what to do. And I realized just on my own, I'm hooped. But with him, he's got this. He cares. And I declare, God, I acknowledge that you are at work. And so the first thing we do when anxiety, when that when that flashing lead right first hits, and it's not ever God's intention that it would keep flashing. First thing we do is we pray. And this is what Jehoshaphat does. And he calls the people of God to come and to fast and to pray together. And then he does an interesting thing. The next thing he does in verses 12 and 13, let me read 12 again. And then 13, it says, Oh my, this is how he's wrapping his prayer. Oh my God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now listen to this. Interesting. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. What are they doing? They're pausing to listen to Jesus. They're adopting a posture of saying, God, uh, we understand that prayer is not just me talking to you. There's a dialogue that's enabled and invited. And we invite you to speak into this situation. They pause and they pray. Our eyes are on you and we all pause. Now, we often, you know, we're, we want to, we got to go out and do something right away. But sometimes God just says, stop and pause. Uh, Psalm 34, be still and know I am God. And listen to Jesus. Jesus, do you have something to say? to me in this situation. Jesus, I want to affirm that you are the functional head. I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge. Very hard for us as human beings to admit that. Just read Genesis chapter three. If you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. That's what it's all about there. Who's going to call the shots. I'm not in charge. I'm going to pause. I'm going to listen and I'm going to invite you to be the functional head. And we listen to Jesus and Jesus speaks and God is beginning to heal our anxiety. And sometimes like we've been saying each week, sometimes he just supernaturally in an instance heals someone. My daughter and son-in-law and and grandchild are down visiting this weekend. My daughter was just telling me, my daughter is a, a pastor on staff at Sterling Alliance Church. And she said one of her young people that she works with was just vibrating with anxiety. And she just spoke a word over her because there's power in the name of Jesus. 
I can't remember her exact words, but I should get her to yell it from the back. But she said, uh, she said, you know, in Jesus name, anxiety be gone. I think it was words just like that. And instantly the girl, she at first was doubting a little bit, but Aaron sort of said to her, are you shaking anymore? And the anxiety, Jesus just took it away. And sometimes Jesus just does that. He is the guy that can heal someone instantly. Most often, depending on the situation, he does it over time. And so sometimes he'll take us to like verses of scripture to study and memorize and chew on and meditate on. That's the really positive rendering of the word from the Hebrew meditate to. And he does this to rewire and to renew our mind. Sometimes, like we've been saying in this series, he will send us to a trained counselor who will listen and help and, and ask pertinent questions and help us formulate a plan. And then the really important part at the end is we actually do it, right? We don't just talk. We, we, we talk it out. They listen carefully. A, a healthy plan is formate, uh, formatted. And then with Jesus' help, we actually do it. Sometimes we go to the medical doctor and we need a prescription to address a chemical issue that's or imbalance in our life. Sometimes there needs to be a change in our diet because we have too much of this or not enough of that. Sometimes we need to change how much we're exercising or our sleep patterns. The, the crux of the matter is this. It all starts with God. He's the foundational one. He's the one that created all the raw materials that we use to put together to make medicine or to garner medical knowledge or to learn and observe the human experience so that a therapist can speak appropriately into a person's life. It all comes from him. Healing all resides in him says that in Exodus 15, I am the God. I am the God, God says. I am the God that heals you. It all comes from him. So they, they pray. They stand up. The whole bunch stands up. All the families or whatever standing together. They pause. They're listening to Jesus. They're listening to God. They're saying, you're in charge. We don't know what to do. We have no power. Have you got anything to say to us? And then we'll pick the stuff back up in verse 14. Then the spirit of the Lord. So the spirit of the, Lord, the Holy Spirit, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, son of Zechariah, the son of this guy, the son of that guy, the son of this guy, a bunch of names I can't pronounce, a Levite and descendant of Asaph as he stood in the assembly. And so he's going to speak a prophetic word over the nation, a prophetic word. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. So take the whole army out. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. So this is all future stuff he's talking about. Prophetic word. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. Do you ever do that? 
That's a really good thing to do. I do that sometimes. I'll come in here and I lay on my face before the Lord. Or in my office or at home, I've done it. You know what it does when you adopt this posture? It's a potent illustration that he is the creator. I'm the created. He's God, I'm not. And so to to lay face down in front of him or on your knees or whatever, or to have hands open like this in surrender or like this in praise. This is a powerful outward illustration of what's in our life. Jehoshaphat bows down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. So the whole, the whole bunch are laying down. Then some Levites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel with very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. I've been there, eh? I, but I was up on the mini Masada, it's called, Herod's Palace. And then right below that, there's an Olympic-sized swimming pool he had dug in the middle of the desert. And right beside that, there's an Israeli army outpost right there. And then on, just on the other side of it is Tekoa. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. So this is just southeast of Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting with the people, so he's going, okay, who should we get to do this? And they say, probably do this guy, this guy, this person. Jehoshaphat then appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever and so God gives after they pray and they pause and they have some listening prayer time God gives a prophetic word to Jehazel and by the way you know God's God did that in the Old Testament God does that in the New Testament and God still does that today you knew that right Okay, yeah, because our God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, prophetic word, you're not going to have to fight. Get the army all dressed up, put on the, the camo and all that stuff you're going to put on. And, and, but you're not going to have to fight. I will fight for you. And the re, their response to this is to praise and worship God before the victory. And then God did something kind of weird when you read. It seems kind of weird to me anyways. When it's time to fight, armies all geared up, ready to go. If it had been me, I would have sent out the leopard tanks and the F-35s at the front. I mean, the chariots and all the foot soldiers, which is what they would have had. You know what they, God tells them to do? Send out the worship band first. So Marissa and Shola and all the band, guess what you're doing after the service? You're going to be at the front of the army and there's going to be three armies in front. Their weapons were instruments and voices of praise and worship. Loud, it says, really loud. If you don't like the volume, just read that text. Really loud worship. Worship is you read the text that took place before, took place during, took place after everything that went down. 
And God causes the three armies. Probably they were kicking up a lot of dust. It was hard to see because that's, I've been there. It's extremely dry. There's no, I don't even know where the closest water would be. Probably miles away. Kicking up clouds of dust. They get confused and as can still happen to this day. There's accidental contact between people, army groups, and they start to fight each other and they obliterate each other. And God performs a miracle. When anxiety hits, it's a signal to pause, to pray, to pause, to listen to what Jesus has to say, make sure that he's got the place of functional leadership. He might give a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a prophetic word. He might give a song or an image. He might not say anything. That's his prerogative, right? Then they praise before, during, and after. And they link this up with faith. We are going to trust God in this situation. You know, it takes faith to praise God in the moment when you're hurting. It takes faith. Especially before and during and after. So these three armies that were coming to obliterate the Israelites are obliterated themselves. And it says, you can read about that in the rest of the text. Let's jump down to verse 29. It says this, the fear of the Lord comes upon all the kingdoms of the countries. So all the places in the Middle East around Israel when they heard, because news travels fast, when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. The fear of God. You know, people will talk about our country, which is a great country, right? Man, we're incredibly privileged to live here. I'll say, you know, we need this in our country and, and we need that and we need more some of this stuff over here. And, and maybe that's all true. What I would suggest we really need is the fear of God. The fear of God. The fear of the kind of God that's per, um, portrayed here of a righteous God, of a holy God. Yeah, he's a loving God, but he is a righteous judge. He is a holy God. And a sense of uh, respect and awe for the right, for the righteous and holy God. So it's not, the intention is this not to be a paralyzing fear, or oh, I can't do anything. This is meant to be a motivating fear where I respect him, where I hold him in awe. And I'm motivated to welcome whatever he wants to do and however he wants to do it. Now, I've said all of that as a backdrop to that verse we started out with. When the well-meaning Christian came up and just gave us a little segment of Philippians chapter 4. And said, you know, here's really the big idea that Paul is trying to communicate. So let me read the rest of that verse with all of those things in mind from Philippians chapter four. Give me a second here to shake over there. 
Um, it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. So again, when the red light starts to flash, but in everything by prayer, which is what Jehoshaphat did, called all his people together. They fasted, they prayed by prayer and petition. They, they were very honest with God and said, here's the exact situation by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving. They worshiped before, during and after with prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And then we end this series where we began. This series is called the peace of God. And then listen to this promise. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, it, you don't, you're never really going to get this. Okay. Never really understand it. That's because God's in charge and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to invite you all to bow your head and close your eyes. And we're just going to have some personal time of reflective prayer. And I'm going to ask you at least three questions that I invite you to just say, Jesus, have you got something to say to me in this? I'm open. And so the first question, just with your head bowed, and we do that, we bow our head and close our eyes to be very focused. We want to be focused on God, not distracted by anything else. The first question is this, who do the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites represent in your life? These were the things that caught the light to start flashing for Jehoshaphat. Who or what do they represent in your life? And what, secondly, Jesus, what would it look like for me to pray and pause and be receptive to a word from you. What would it look like for me to praise before, during, and after as the red light begins to flash? Lord Jesus, would you just make that really personal for me? It's because he cares for you, right? He will. And then the last question, and this is, you know, this is where it just, it doesn't just linger as information. Now it's, translated into something different in your life, would you be willing to let God take you on that journey? We're going to take some time now to worship for a while. We're going to sing some songs together. 
We're going to be a people of praise like they're invited to do in the story of Jehoshaphat. I invite you not to just let slip away what Jesus has put in your heart to do. And we'll, I'll be back up in a few minutes to conclude our time. Let's worship together.